Planetary Radio is Public Radio's only weekly series about space exploration. I'm Matt Kaplan, and I hope you'll join me as we explore Mars, look for life in the universe, and fly through the rings of Saturn. We'll talk with the men and women, scientists and dreamers who are guiding us to a future beyond Earth. And don't forget to enter our weekly space trivia contest. That's Planetary Radio, Mondays at 5.30 p.m., right here on KUCI. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good evening. You're listening to KUCI in Irvine at 88.9 FM and online at KUCI.org. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer, and your host is Mari. Mari's a local attorney and privacy consultant and is the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft with a CD. She sits as an advisor to the State of California Office of Privacy Protection, and she's a sheriff reserve here in our county. She's testified many times in Congress and the California legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC News, O'Reilly Factor, Heraldo, and a lot of other shows. So, good evening, Mari. Good evening. We have a great show. Now, we have a show about fishing. Now, don't get your ears all up. I know you like fishing. Freshwater or saltwater? I know. That's what I want. I knew you were going to say that. So, no, Lloyd is a a lover. He loves to fish and catch tuna and mahi-mahi and all the good stuff. But this is about another kind of fishing. This is the fishing that we can all get hooked on. P-H-I-S-H-I-N-G. Fishing with a PH. And we are going to be talking to a fishing expert who is a techie, but he's going to be able to explain things to us um, for those lay people out here who use the internet and get exposed to fishing. Lance is the author of a book called Fishing Exposed, and he's been involved in information security for many years, and he provides consultation to government startups, uh, to government startups, uh, Fortune 500 companies, and America's top financial institutions. He's devised techniques to prevent, track, and detect online fraud as a chief scientist with Secure Science Corporation, and that's uh, securescience.net. And that's a company, a software company, um, that is busy tracking over 53 fishing groups as a security uh, company. So we're really thrilled that he's joining us from San Diego tonight. And thank you, Lance. How are you this evening? Unbelievable. How are you? I'm great. I'm really excited that you're here, and I I so much enjoyed looking through your book and, and reading parts of it, because some of it was a little bit technical, but actually most of it was not. And I especially like all of the summaries at the end and the, the you know, the questions that you answer. Those are terrific. So, Lance, let's, let's talk about what is fishing. Well, um, fishing is basically a, um, another term for it is brand spoofing. And what it is is basically it's an attempt to lure a home, usually a home user or someone sitting at a computer, um, to basically click on a link, go somewhere to a site that's actually malicious. It's, it's not intended. It's, and a lot of the times we'll find that, that phishing is basically um, what they call spoofing or a fake site. And it looks like it's your legitimate bank. Uh, most of the time we're seeing phishing uh, target uh, banking institutions, things with, uh, with your, that give them access to your money. And so a lot of times you'll see something like a Citibank or a Chase Manhattan or a Washington Mutual Fish site. And it looks like very real. But it's not actually real at all, and when you enter in your credentials uh, to log in, uh, you never actually are at the site uh, that's really, um, you know, your bank. It's actually at this uh, site usually hosted somewhere, maybe in Russia or, you know, sometimes we have them hosted here, but uh, usually the information ends up going to someone in the, uh, you know, somewhere else that definitely shouldn't be having your information. You know, I've even seen them from the FDIC, 
you know, yeah. and from yeah. from from AOL mm-hmm. and from a lot of different things. So it's it's you know it's. I heard there's even one from the IRS. Yeah, actually, um, the FDIC. I remember that one. That was back in January of 2004. Right. Um, yeah. So yeah, we're getting a lot of um, different ones out there. Mainly, they're focused on getting. You know, we, we've even seen ones for the military recently. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're they're not just after money. Uh, they're they're pretty much after anything that has a login. Uh, usually because it has either confidential information in there or information that is useful for them to get confidential information. Um, and so, you know, we've seen, like, especially during tax season, we've seen quite a bit of IRS scams. Uh, we even saw one I saw, um, one actually it was sitting on a real government site, and it would actually forward you to a bad site because the government's website had a weakness in it that allowed them to use the government site to actually, you know, set up part of the phishing scam. So, you know, there's there's definitely, I mean, a lot of, you know, carry around, and, and we believe that it's going to be starting to hit more of the government sector, targeting government agencies. We saw one uh, posing as an FBI agent, um, you know, so, so there's, you know, it's a vast amount of different uh, forms of stealing your identity out there, and they're pretty much, you know, they're really out there to get as much information as they can, because in, in the business they're in, information is money to them. You know, Lance, uh, several years ago, gee, back in, uh, I think it was 1998 when I testified, or 1999 when I testified in Congress for the Identity Theft Deterrence Act, I testified along with the Secret Service, and they brought in a computer to show to the senators on how there was a, a site that was a bogus site that looked just like the Secret Service website. Mm-hmm. And, and that was you know, made up to do whatever it was to do to to maybe get people to come to it or to make it look real for some reason. Is that what you call farming? Where Kind of explain for us what farming is. Um, Yeah, farming is a media term, so I'm very careful in using it. Okay. Um, And multiple people have very different definitions. Um, Fishing actually is what that would be describing because you're actually setting up a site that looks like the website, so and then you would send an email, and that you would fish this. Farming is more—it's um, more complicated. Um, usually, what happens is farming is associated with uh, things like viruses, trojans, and sometimes like hacking. Uh, and what that means is that the fact that um, when you get on the internet and you go to Microsoft.com or you go to Google.com, right? You know, it's like a phone number that you actually are dialing. The difference is to make it easy for the home user. Right. They, they have what they call DNS, which is a domain name service. Right. So when you go to Google.com, you're actually going to a number, a set of numbers. Right. Uh, but to the user, they're going to the name. Right, because it's easier for us dummies here who aren't techies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, I even as a technical person, when, when I remember every uh, every number I have to go to to get to a site. And and so, you know, the neat thing about this is that there's sometimes there are weaknesses in certain implementations of the domain name service. And if you get infected with a, a Trojan or a virus on your computer, what farming is is if you go and you try to go to, like, say, Wells Fargo or, you know, your bank, whatever it right, is, I'm, right. I'm not naming out a bank purposely or anything. It's just, right. just picking one out of the air. Right. Um, so you go to Wells Fargo, say. You put in WW, or you have it on your favorites. Yeah, you put in www.wellsfargo.com. Right. And then what will happen is you think you're going to the real site. But what farming is is that they've hijacked your domain name service, either your cash or whatever, some operation in the middle of there. There's multiple ways of doing it. And they hijack that, and they change the number to the bad site that is set up to do wellsfargo.com. Right, right. Okay, and so, you know, and they call that farming because a lot of times it's, uh, it's usually with an infection or they're actually doing it from a hacking technique. And instead of just sending you out an email, you actually, you know, you're, maybe you're at a corporate office and someone's hacked into the, the domain name service there. Right. What will happen is they changed all of, you know, you know, all the banks to go to their sites. And we've literally seen, I've actually seen in action a site that has 20 different, you know, banks on it. And they'll go in and they'll basically, um, you know, it's usually affected with Trojans or, or uh, virus malware, malicious right. software. Yes. And we'll see that they basically changed it. And you'll be going to some site in Russia that's hosting all these banks that look very real. Yes. And the difference is what they're doing for farming is they're adding like your ATM pin number in there so that they get that information right. as well. 
Right, right. And and that's what I think they were talking about at the Secret Service thing, is that you, you put in the Secret Service or you have it in your favorites, and oh, then yeah. somehow somebody got into your favorites and then diverted you to this bogus Secret Service website that yeah. you think you're at the circus. So that's yeah, the farming. Yeah, that would be farming. Yeah. That is actually farming. Because yeah. it, what farming is is really is you're, you're, doing, you're performing what's called a man-in-the-middle attack. Uh-huh. Okay? And there are many, many ways of doing it. It's it's less likely unless you're infected with something, but there are definite ways of doing it. And basically that man in the middle is you become the domain name service for the victim. Okay. And then that means you control their Internet. Uh, uh, so really what's happening is you've taken over their Internet and all the traffic that you want to basically steal goes to you and you tell it route to this number instead of the proper number. And then you basically can steal all that information. Lance, isn't that then why they tell you, or at least I've heard from different techies, that you shouldn't have, like, your Bank of America in your favorites because that kind of exposes you for somebody to divert that instead of you actually typing in the number because they can change it through the malware or something? Am uh, I, have I got it right? A lot of, uh, there's a lot of offerings for, like, advice for getting people not to, you know, get farmed and, and stuff. And I'm going to tell you the truth, and it's not a really pretty truth, but... <laughs> None of that's going to help you either way. If you've gotten farmed and someone's doing a man in the middle yeah. between you and your, you know, the internet, uh, you're kind of out of luck, anyways. Uh. Um, in the sense of that kind of protection, um, there are things that you could do. I mean, there are techniques that could do, but it's more from a technical angle that I think is where it's going to have to be handled. Uh, there are great steps. Like there is good advice. Like you know, make sure that you are typing in your domain and make sure it says HTTPS. You know, uh, the SSL certificate, uh, I don't know for anybody who's familiar with SSL, basically you see a lot of the lock at the bottom of your screen when you right. go to your bank. Yes, the secured socket layer. Yeah, the secure okay. socket layer. is basically, um, you know, it'll help you because basically, I mean, it's not flaw-proof in this sense because I've actually seen farming attacks defeat SSL. But um, what it can do is uh, if you go there first and you, instead of, if you do bookmark something, you bookmark HTTPS. Ah. Right, because the the point is is that you want to automatically go and choose to go to the secure part of the website because if you don't, because the way SSL, the secure socket layer works, is it's sending you kind of a, a trusted key that says, I am the bank, and your your browser says, yes, that person is at, you know, you are at the bank. If that key changes and you get a warning and you're actually at, you know, you grab your bookmark, that was yes. HTTPS specific. Yes. Uh, and it changes and gives you a warning, then you do not, you should not sign in. You should call your bank immediately. Okay. So, you know, okay, so if, so if you do you. want to keep something in your favorites, it should be HTTPS yes. colon, slash colon yes. forward slash twice, then whatever, bankofamerica.com. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that that way you're going to be a little bit more careful to do that. And yeah. So if and, you're and worried about some it. Some banks don't support that yet. Like oh. they do. HTTPS, but they do it within things. And, you know, everybody's web pages are different. Right. But if you can, even, you know, to encourage your bank, you know, if you don't find the HTTPS, give them a call. Don't hesitate to call them and say, hey, how can I make sure that I'm on a secure, you know, uh, connection here when I'm logging into my, my service? Because, you, you know, it's the bank's responsibility to protect you, and you want to make sure that they're making sure that you're protected. Yeah, you know, I noticed in, in your book you had some suggestions for banks of what not to do with regard to phishing. Like you said, don't send an email asking for information, which is, is I tell people, if you ever get any email asking you for information, don't even don't even go there. Don't yeah. even go there. Call your bank and find out what they want, you know, because exactly. it's, cause you, it's, I'll tell you, I got an email from Bank of America a couple weeks ago that even me, who I am so careful, you know, I never do that. But this one I was looking at looked so authentic. And the reason why is it said, if you have any questions, all you need to do is look at the back of your ATM card and call the number on there and we'll answer it for you. So, you know, that one made it sound so trustworthy. Do you know what I mean? Bank of America? Yeah, it wasn't real. I knew it wasn't the Bank of America, but when I was reading it, I saw what it was and sure enough, I, I, uh, you know, copied and pasted it into an email to my, uh, you know, to my bank and they said, this is not real. And I knew it wasn't real, so I was scared to do it, but um, it was just so authentic looking. Yeah, and the worst part is yesterday, speaking of Bank of America, not to diss them too hard, but they actually did send out a real email 
that was telling people about this new partnership they had with e-health insurance. Oh. I've never heard of health, e-health insurance. No. Of course, I was skeptical. Right. Plus, when you go to their links, it doesn't take you to Bank of America, even though the links say Bank of America. Oh. You get e-health insurance, you know. And so, so I kind of was like, you know, I, I was a little bit upset. I'm like, these are the type of things that banks should not do because there's already confusion People don't know. I mean, long links in an email already confuse people. Right. You know, they don't know what they're connecting to. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's, I understand the problem. It's Bank of America's marketing team. Right. You know, and they go out there, and their, their job is to get people interested in their new products. Right. So the marketing team is not speaking with the IT team or the security team. Well, exactly. So there's a, uh, there's a gap in the, uh, the communication here. Uh, and there's some companies that have harder times. Uh, the top-rated uh, top companies like the Amazons and the Ebays and the PayPal, they have to actually communicate with their customers via email because they do auctions. You know, so it becomes already difficult because they have to sit there and go, how can we communicate with our customers safely and still not look like a phishing email because all the other people are going to imitate our emails? Right. You see? And so it's a very difficult thing. Um, when a customer does this, though, like a Bank of America sends out a real email, you know, it's what I call consumer miseducation because it does not help them educate them on, like, phishing uh, or fraud. And if you go, to, of course, to the web front website, it'll say protect yourself against fraud. There's usually a ton of stuff on there. You know, and so you just have to be very careful. Uh, I would discourage, you know, finding that way to market. I mean, the, the pick up the phone, call customers there, they're direct to you, or send them a, a letter in the mail, um, you know, something like that, or just find better ways. Don't get something that has to require them to go anywhere that doesn't look like your site, don't, don't get very complicated with it. It's, there's just so many things that they could have done that, you know, that they're not doing. And, and it's not just Bank of America. I've seen it with a lot of different companies. There's American Express that we have an example in my book. And they actually ask people to update their account billing information. I saw uh, Pacific Bell, SBC, now AT&T do the same, and they even offer you a $5 Starbucks gift card if you update your information online. And yes. so it's and these things, the worst part of it included in my book is that a majority of these, and this is where it did get technical, the majority of the links that were involved that, they, the, that, that people click on, actually those sites had vulnerabilities in them that allowed, uh, you know, could allow a uh, fisher or a hacker to attack the home user but still be at the real, you know, Bank of America site or the real Pacific Bell site or the, you know, the real um, American Express site. And so this is what, you know, lets the fisher gain misplaced trust when they're already exploiting that in the first place. So it was, it's, it's very trying because, one, you know, there's a lot of steps that the vendors, you know, the banks need to work on. Anybody selling products and, and stuff with uh, logins and everything that there's credit card information or, uh, you know, any kind of monetary information, they basically have to make an extra effort to, one, make sure that they're audited almost every three months, maybe even every month, you know, make sure they, you know, don't have anything specific that fishers can use. Even press releases, can a uh, fisher will take advantage of. Um, a, good, a good example, again, unfortunately, is Bank of America. They have a new technology called SiteKey. I'm sure you've seen the picture with your account login. Right. Okay, that's made by Passmark. Um, and in my book, I actually demonstrate how it's broken immediately. And I also show that, you know, Bank of America literally actually sent out a press release saying we're putting this in our systems and it'll be executed throughout the year across, you know, slowly through each state. Well, what happens when a fisher says, hi, everybody, we're setting up our new Passmark site key program. Please log in and set up your site key now. Right. They could actually be the man in the middle and get your, your site key for you and make you decide what it is. And another attack would obviously be, okay, we've already stolen a bunch of Bank of America accounts. Well, now we're upset. Why don't we just lock everybody out? Right. You know, so there's a lot of things. There's also malware. Malware is already breaking site key left and right. But so these things, you know, a press release tells people what defenses they're putting on their network. And the problem with that is fishers actually have seen in forums, like uh, we, we infiltrate a lot of fishing groups in their forums, these little, you know, black market forums that they're in. They actually have anti anti fraud <laughs> uh, forums where they watch people like us that are, you know, you know putting out stuff and putting out technologies and see, you know, and they work on, they have people that will actually try to bypass their technologies. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very, like to some of these countries, it is a big business. Uh, the, the identity theft is a booming business for some of these countries. I've got some serious numbers. Um, like, for instance, since January 2006 till today, we've actually recovered over 2 million credit cards stolen just with uh, phishing and malware, like that's, you know, focused on phishing alone. 
Uh, and that's just, that's not even six months yet, you know. Yes. And if we look at the cost of that, that's like, let's say that's $500 a card, according to the FBI, that's a billion-dollar problem already in less than six months. And and then with that case, it's the companies, it's the financial industry that's going to have to eat it. But of course, yeah. then they're going to charge it back to you and I mm-hmm. as increased fees and increased, you know, interest payments and, you know, shorter time to pay and all that good stuff. But yep. yeah, it, it's a loss. And they've, they're really kind of facilitating it by not taking these extra measures. You know, I even get this thing from Xerox. I have a, you know, Xerox machine in our law office and they want to update, they keep sending me this thing to update, you know, update, we've got this new thing. And, and, you know, I'm not going to do it. I no. just, you know, I just said to my assistant, I said, you know, you call because I will not do it online. I don't know if it's real. I don't know if it's not real. But if it is real, they're stupid to be doing this. Yeah. 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 And, and it's, it's very, uh, it's a very difficult time for them because, like, they, they're pretty much in the bind of uh, convenience versus security. Yes. And I mean, and they're saving money too because you know if they don't have to have people, you know, send out letters yep. and they don't have to spend the postage yep. and they don't have to have somebody call me, they're yep. going to lay people off and they're going to save money and it's saving money at the expense of people not wanting to communicate because people who are listening to this show and get to listen to to Lance James, you know, a fishing expert and hear somebody like me who's a chicken to do that, they're going to say, "You know what? I'm not going to respond to any of those emails either." Yeah, and I I wouldn't recommend it because I, I mean I, I'm kind of a stickler with this stuff because I believe the only way to get certain things fixed is to apply a little bit of pressure. Right. And with the you know in my book in chapter four and five I kind of did that and I did it at a risk of like you know I've heard some law cases out there saying you know oh finding vulnerabilities could put you in prison and you know of course I don't think those will stick but you know there's a lot of you know, people, a lot of security researchers like us, you know, we spend our days looking for vulnerabilities so that we can help protect, you know, environments and banking institutions and different, you know, different organizations. Uh, and some of them are very appreciative and some of them just don't like it and some of them just kind of close their ears and close their eyes and they don't want to know about the problem. Or they're defensive. Yeah, and they're very defensive. And it's like, you know, we're not trying to show off here. We're not trying to do that. We're just trying to look out for the consumer, the at-home consumer that doesn't know any difference. And everybody wants to call, a, you know, someone who falls for a, fish here, a phishing email a stupid user. And I'm like, please stop calling this the user stupid. Right. They're not. They are trained to use the computer the way the vendor wanted them to use the computer. And so that doesn't make them stupid. That It's like driving a car, okay? We learn how to drive a car a certain way. And once we get it, we don't even think much about it anymore. And that's the natural way of human beings. Fishers are exploiting that technique, and they're exploiting the fact that we have easier technologies to communicate with people. But at the same time, this means that we have to drive more carefully on the computer. But don't expect the consumer to be at fault here all the time, because that's not the case. Lance, you know, there has been some suggestion for legislation that if you are a consumer and you have subjected yourself to phishing that they don't have to uh, give you back your money, okay? That they can really avoid some of the laws and they can or they can shift the blame to the to the user. And that is outrageous. You know, it's totally outrageous because of the fact that sometimes these things, even me, who knows, who didn't succumb, I really wondered, you know, I mean, if they look, and they're getting more and more sophisticated, aren't they, Lance? Yeah, you know, that's the thing, is that I'm upset because of the fact that you know, uh, not physically upset, but I'm upset in my head that basically what's happening is I know that there's technologies and abilities for target, uh, the, the target, basically the bank, um, to do something about this and help the user uh, without having to, like, you know, put m- any more inconvenience on them. The worst part is when, you know, I've actually spoken with fishers, you know, doing kind of like infiltrations and, and things like this. Oh, and so you pretend to be a fisher, you kind of kind of yeah, go... Yeah, I have to work, you know, kind of a little bit... <laughs> incognito. You know, incognito. <laughs> and they'll sit there, and th- this is how they justify this. They actually justify what they do by saying, we're not stealing from people, we're stealing from governments. I actually have a quote that that's actually what's been told to me, is they believe because bankings are institutional, they're backed by the FDIC, that essentially they are stealing from the government, and they're, you know, they're, they're basically kind of doing, they try to justify it as a Robin Hood thing. Right, or they're, um, or they're saying that they're, they're stealing from, and you know what, we hear this from identity theft thieves as well, mm-hmm. although we recently interviewed one who's reformed, but I have to tell you, I was a victim of identity theft back in 1996, and um, when my, 
when my fraudster was caught and she said to the probation officer, what does she care? It's not her money. It's the bank's money, and they rip us off anyway. So what is the big deal? Exactly. So it's this kind of indignation, right? Yeah, and and technically, I mean, technically, in a way, they should be right. They are stealing from the bank. Right. They are inconveniencing the user, but they are relying on the fact that the user should be insured by the bank. Now, right. if they start making legislature like this, that's a big problem because of the fact that the whole point of our entire uh, infrastructure and our setup for trusting banks in the first place is that we're insured and we can trust our money right. there. And them shifting the blame says, I don't want to bank with you anymore because I can't trust to put my money there. Yeah, right? except if all the banks get together and there's legislation that's passed, do you know what I mean? And then they all I fall back. See them, I can't see them doing this, and I'll tell you why. I mean, I can't see it being successful due to the fact that if you think of it this way, uh, the majority of banks getting together will realize, okay, this is, you know, banks between, you know, between the audience here and, and, and you know, me here, <laughs> basically it's about bottom line. I mean, do they really care about the customer? No, they care about the percentage of money that comes down to bottom line that you put in the bank because they make money off of it. That's the art, artfulness of a bank, and we know that. And so we're trusting the bank already. If they suddenly go with this legislature, I can see that the banks will see that they'll lose customers. They'll lose their bottom line because of the fact that no one's going to like that anymore. They're not protected. Right. You know, I mean, they will be if they want to pay extra for fraud insurance, which probably has a lot of stipulations as well. Right. And then the banks can charge you for fraud insurance. I mean, it's, it's almost yeah, like these checks. They, they have done this already, though, Lance. I don't know if you realize this. If you have um, checks that are used, let's say your bank account is used and you never use checks, mm-hmm. but somebody goes to, to Office Depot and creates checks with your routing number and your account number and put on those checks maybe Tom Jones instead of Lance James. Mm-hmm. And um, a very few of those checks are ever looked at. So they have already shifted the burden. If you look, if you have a Bank of America and you look at their, you know, 10-point uh, checking account p- privacy policies, et cetera, it'll tell you that if you don't look at your statements, because you're now, you're, now you're not even getting your checks back, if you don't look at your statements and um, and this goes on, that even though... It doesn't have your name on it, and it may not even have the bank name. It just has your routing number and your, your account number. They are not liable. You are. They have shifted the burden already, and every bank does it. See, and that's a big, I mean... It's a huge issue. It is. It's a big issue. Yeah, and the reason why is that the banks are finding their threshold. It's kind of like the gas prices. People still put up with it. Right. Right, and so... They're going to find this threshold of like you know, and maybe it's unfortunate that us as Americans are putting up with a lot of this, and we really probably shouldn't. Right. Um, but the fact remains that we obviously are. Uh, we have to live. We have to keep going. And you know, there's you know, there's a lot at stake, I guess, for us in our uh, in our positions. I just. But well, Lance, you know the fact move. that the fact that you wrote this great book, you know, and it's it's a lot for techies. You really need to write. You know, letters to the editor, to the San Diego Tribune, or something, to about what the issues are that that um, consumers should not be, you know, blamed if they are caught in this, you know, surreptitious fishing expedition. Especially when it's so technical, and and this is kind of the argument I've had about banks and home users. Anyways, look at it this way: you're at home. You go, hmm, how do I secure my computer for hackers? And then you go on to Google and you type in secure computer from hackers. Right. Then you see a bunch of ads. Right. But on one of those ads, they tell you, yes, get a firewall, you're safe. And that's what they tell you. That's all they tell you. They don't tell you, I mean, they tell you just enough information to say, this is a good thing, go buy it. And you trust the fact that it works and you go buy it. Now, try being a bank and you go, what keeps hackers out of our environment and our enterprise environment? Oh, wait, let's hire seven InfoSec guys that are experts. Uh, let's get an intrusion detection system in here. But before we get that one in, we've got to choose from five different vendors, and we've got to take 12 months to decide which one it is, yeah. because we want to make sure that this really does what we need to do. Um, we, do you see the difference? There's a ton of expertise on the big side, and the consumer is left to trust the market saying they're secure, which most of it is snake oil, I'll tell you the truth right. about uh, like, for instance, anti-spyware is not going to help you when spyware is on your computer and it knows that it's on there. Right. You so know? let's say for, uh, for for me, for example, I, I run SpyBot. Okay? Right. It's free. I downloaded it and, you know, I try and remember to run it at least once a week. Mm-hmm. Okay? So that's one thing. Then I do my antivirus, my Norton antivirus and, and, and even the Microsoft antivirus. Mm-hmm. So um, and so am I, am I safe? 
I would say that it's really about, okay, for the user, you have to look at it as pretty good security. For yeah. an enterprise, you have to look at it like ultimate security because they can't afford a breach, okay? Right. So the problem with this is this. You're safe from the typical attack that is known, that right. has already been exploited. Right. Okay, that's, way, that's the way the antivirus, the anti-spyware community work. They work based on signatures, which means... We spotted this virus out in the wild. We're sending you an update before you get it. But that meant someone had to get it and got really, you know, their computer either screwed up or they got their data stolen, you know. So it could have been me. It could have been me first. Yeah, and you know what the worst part is, like, uh, to you know, I'm going to diss Microsoft here, but not purposely. But this is just a fact. So Microsoft has patches every month. Right. Okay, they come out on the 15th of every month. If there is a what's called a zero day, a zero day means that day, like brand new exploit. You know, and fishers are starting to increase in using, you know, brand new exploits um, for Internet Explorer. Because phishing is not just sending me an email anymore. It's you browse to the wrong website that got hacked into. Um, like, for instance, a good majority of adult websites are not as secure as they should be. And, unfortunately, there's a lot of people that do go to adult sites. Right. Um, they have uh, exploits on the site so that if you browse with your browser, it will exploit your computer and load malicious software on your computer without you ever knowing. And look okay. at how many of us go surfing. Like, you know, I, I do research on the net all the time. Exactly. And I go from one... And that, you know, I go from one site that I'm like all excited about, you know, whether I'm learning about, you know, cybercrime is one of the things I was doing because I interviewed somebody on cybercrime. And I got all excited and I kept going from one site to another site to another site to learn as much as I could to interview my my, uh, my guest. And, you know, I don't know where I'm going, right? Because you just right. get so you can, involved. Actually, it's been proven. You can land anywhere and it's a nice legitimate site. But they, you know, just like in Chapter 4 and 5 where the big sites have big vulnerabilities. Right. Well, the smaller sites are probably going to have more because they don't know what to buy. They don't have an InfoSec staff. They don't, you know, if the, if the big sites can have these big, huge vulnerabilities that are gaping and they spend at least, you know, a million dollars on security a year. Right. Okay. I can tell you for now that you know that a mom and pop or a smaller business or just a smaller e-commerce site may easily have get broken into. We see it all the time. Um, like, for instance, the, there was a new Internet Explorer exploit um, out, and within two days there was 800 infected sites oh, that were out there already in the wild, uh, exploiting, uh, using you know, malicious software to get onto people's computers and steal their data. Well, how um, do they even know about it if they don't have somebody like you? I mean, how would they even know that the right, data is stolen? Right, and our stolen? job is basically, you know, what we do on the end is, like, we try to get the banks to be aware of the data that was stolen. We go and recover the data. Um, but and we're seeing big numbers. I mean, I've got like one group we're watching has made a billion dollars last year. You know, one billion dollars for their own group, just this group, and as a group in Russia specifically. One you know, bad group. I mean, they're bad people. Yeah, they're, they're bad people, and they've yeah. made a billion dollars. They've stolen a, a, a billion dollars. And, and and what can we do? I mean, our let's talk a little bit about the the spam and anti spam laws because basically, how does that help us if they're in Russia or if they're in some yeah, other the company? Teeth issue is a big issue. We need some teeth to go with our laws. Um, uh, like countries like Romania and Estonia are starting to update their extradite tr uh, treaties. Okay. Estonia has a 1931 extradite treaty, and Estonia has actually passed. Uh, approval on their end of it with the United States. Now it's just in the U.S. court system getting approval. Okay, and so there is some good luck there that you know slowly the wheels are turning with all these extradite treaties. Like recently, I just read uh, the news thing this morning that U.K. and U.S. have always had a good extradite treaties, and there's a hacker that's pretty much getting extradited to the U.S. Right. Um, so it's it's a slow process. But how about um, the investigation? Like, I'm thinking in Russia, when they're so corrupt anyway right now, their government is kind of a mess. I mean, are they, if we find out, like, these people that you're talking about in Russia, these hackers in Russia, or I don't know, these fishers in Russia. Yeah, and they're virus authors. And, and all, that. all that stuff that they're doing. I mean, is anybody in their country <laughs> investigating? Do they go after them? What, what goes on? I hear left and right yes and no's. Um, I have not had as much luck with Russia, per se. I've had some great luck with the Ukraine Estonia, Romania, so some, some of it I have. We actually wrote an article as a company on a, we identified, excuse me, and we identified a, um, a virus author 
and we called him out. We identified, and we identified a um, virus author. What do you mean? We called him out. We did the same thing anonymously. Okay. Uh, we called him out. And what do you mean you called him out? We said his name. We oh, called okay. You know, here's our investigation. It was like, uh, I think, uh, 21 pages long. Showed how we investigated, how we came up with it. And it was, it was really solid evidence. Okay, like it's... It's still computer, so as most computer evidence is circumstantial until you have the you know guy's computer in your hand and you can prove the linkage. But um, it was very, very solid. Um, and the person actually sent, uh, the, the virus author sent an email to us, like our anonymous email that we set up for it. Right. And he said, I really liked your paper. I had no relationships with this virus. Smiley face. And uh, uh, it was funny because of the fact that he's in Russia, and if you were, of course, innocent, would you be that pleasant about writing back to someone? Right, you'd be mad and say, hey, that wasn't me. Saying something like yeah. that, you know? Right. So, so <laughs> and I think the smiley face was kind of like the middle finger. Yes. You know, basically ha -ha. saying, hey, ha, 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 I'm in Russia, come get me. Right. Right. And so it's, it's very difficult because I've heard rumors, and these are, you know, just rumors that, you know, even the Russian government, you know, funds some of this activity, and those are you know strictly rumors. I'm not dissing the. Well, they're probably getting their cut, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm I'm not going to confirm it or deny it. I'm just right, but say we know that we know I've that there's. Yeah, I mean, we know a lot about the corruption, unfortunately, and yeah. and, and that people get paid off, and hey, you know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's if corruption is corruption, it's it's seen every in every in every government. Hey, I mean, we, we have, have it in here. US, we have it, in, you know, everywhere. Right. So there are definite rumors that that's going on, and. You know, I haven't been to Russia, so I can't confirm per se. Um, so, but, yeah, so there's a lot of that, um, those issues. And so far, we've had, you know, we've actually worked with, like, some of the antivirus vendors that actually are in Russia, and they've been very helpful. But, you know, getting uh, good relations with the police department over there, it takes a long time, even for, I think, for our law enforcement. I mean, it pretty much takes almost like a more politics than it does anything else, you yeah. know. And so it's... You know, I can just say that, it, yeah, it's going to be very difficult. Um, but I think that there are steps that we can get them to lower the numbers. I mean, really, this is all about numbers. You right. know, there's low risk, high ROI. Yes. You know, and there are techniques that the vendors, and uh, meaning the banks, can use to actually make, you know, attacking their bank high risk and low revenue generating for them. So, right. so it's, it's, it's just something. That's why I really want to apply the pressure to, you know, these vendors need to understand there are a lot of techniques. They have the expertise. They have the money. Okay, right. uh, The customer at home will spend what he can, but he's only going to do what's being told. The truth of the matter is the zone alarms, the Microsoft anti-spywares, all of those things are limited in protection because they're all in reactive mode. Because you have to assume that when you get fished, your, your local computer at home is compromised. Okay, right. and then from that point, because you don't know if that phishing email has a Trojan in it as well that's also infected you and is stealing all your data. And, you know, we no. have ISPs. Like, uh, I just got an email recently from Cox Cable, which I, is my ISP, and they did send me. And of course, I was even scared when I got that email telling me how, how they were going to improve, how they are improving to, you know, filter and do all these things. And I, and I must say that I stopped getting these Chinese uh, phishing things since they said that so they they probably are doing it i didn't respond to anything but um i i what about the isps what is their duty yeah they have a lot of duties and they've actually been very helpful um i don't know about the coxes and the time warners of the world um they are filtering a lot of stuff like spam and trying to lower those numbers um i think that a lot of it could be done on the isp side of things but the problem is there's a fine balance between user privacy and filtering because filtering means that they have to inspect what you do Right. You see, so it's very difficult. And uh, my concern with the ISPs is this. We've got a lot of researchers out there that are doing phishing takedowns, which means that there's an ISP in the United States that's hosting a phishing site, not intentionally, but like someone either bought it with a stolen credit card or broke into the ISP or whatever, and they host this phishing site. And, you know, people are running to get those things shut down as fast as possible so they can get as very little victims as possible. Right. Very good technique, except for the fact that it's only going to push these attackers to go after the cable modem users, and you can't necessarily shut down someone's Internet all day. Right. You know, and so we have to be very careful what we wish for. Um, there's other techniques that could be used. We actually are helping the ISPs a lot. We're writing um, IDS, which is intrusion detection systems. We're writing signatures that allow um, us to basically find malware that's hosted on their servers. Uh, it also finds, like, keywords like, you know, banks that exist or, like, certain type of files that refer back uh, right. to the real bank. 
uh, those kind of activities. So we basically blacklist some of that. Uh, there are techniques, and I think that really the best thing is just you know have make sure that their abuse is truly twenty four seven, because really the you know the the big thing for the ISPs is we're finding a lot of ISPs that are you know uh, on the weekends they go home and you know you know crime never happens on the weekends, you know so <laughs> right <laughs> so so that's a big problem is that we have to wait till Monday to get a uh, site down. The problem with the statistics are that it takes only forty eight hours for the, the all the victims to be hit with. Um, you know, a phishing attack. So right. the fishers actually get all their victims in 48 hours. Exactly. You know? I, I, and even on a weekend, a Friday, you'd think, oh, it's Friday, no one's going to sign into that, blah, blah, blah. We saw a PayPal attack. It had, uh, over the weekend, We call, I, I literally found the blind drops, like the secret stolen data that they had, and I right. called all the victims up that weekend and let them know. Had I not done that, they would have stolen 100 accounts. Let me stop you no. for just a second because I want to introduce you again. If people are driving by and they've just been listening and they're all excited and they're thinking, oh, my goodness, this guy has so much to say, but we don't know who he is. So let me introduce you. This You're, you're hearing right now Lance James, who is a security expert, um, computer security phishing expert, and he has written a book called Phishing Exposed, and it's great, and even I can understand it. So you might want to take a look at it. Let me ask you a little bit more about... Um, at SecureScience.net, that's where you work as a chief scientist over there. So what exactly do you guys do? Who do you work for? Um, well, we kind of work for our fans. No, just kidding. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, um, so, so we are a company that we're kind of discreet in what we do because of us infiltrating a lot of fishing groups. So our job is kind of like, uh, we're kind of like, if you really had a description, we're intelligence brokers, okay? We gather intelligence on the cybercrime, you know, uh, and who we work for are, you know, com- banks, you know, like um, the the top, you know, we have three of the top five banks as our customers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we work for broker houses. They're a high target because of the amount of money there. Um, we also work with law enforcement a lot. Um, we uh, advise law enforcement quite frequently on techniques and defensive techniques and tracking techniques. Actually, our technology has been used by law enforcement in the past for tracking down some of these guys and making some arrests. Um, so that's kind of what we do. And in a way, we're working for the consumer because of the fact that we are helping the, the vendor actually be, you know, looking out for their consumer, you know, the, the home user. Uh, because we, we've been trying to stray away from helping the consumer and directly because of the fact that, one, it's an uphill climb, and, two, it really isn't their problem when there are ways to solve this problem outside of the consumer. Right. I yes. mean, we're just, we're, we have to, like you said before, we have to react. We have right. to, you know, put up, use our spyware. But the truth of the matter is, you know, I'm more techie than a lot of people, and I, and I don't consider myself a techie at all. And I even find it's hard to, you know, I have to remind myself to, you know, do, I, every night I do my spyware. There's no question about that. I mean, my, right. uh, my Norton, and, and I do do these things, and I have to remind myself, but how many people do that? Do you right. know what I mean? How many people really run it while they're sleeping they if they're not on all the time like I am? So I, I worry about putting this pressure on consumers, but I want to make sure that we, can you give some hints, can you give us some tips for consumers, and then I'd like you to give some tips for, you know, what you tell about the miseducation, you know, can, can you do th- some of that now, yeah. and then we'll talk about other things, because there's so much I'm sure that we could talk about that I don't want to get carried away without at least giving some specific tips that we give people that are listening. Yeah, so... For consumers at home, one of the things that is, I mean, it's its a little, of an, a little bit of an inconvenience, but I would suggest, you know, before buying a security product, you know, before saying, you know, semantics got it, you know, and all these things, you want to kind of read up on what it really does. And, you know, a lot of the consumers, if you're really worried about this, educate yourself. You know, I'm not saying go out, buy my really, really technical book. But there are a lot of things online at identitytheft.org, I believe is your site. Right. Uh, and there's your, your couple of books are, you know, more for, I think, the home users. Right. Um, I think um, idtheft.org has a site that has pretty much tells people, um, you know, what to, you know, what steps they can take. Also, there are sites out there and companies out there like idtheft.org. I think it's Intellius, and I'm not trying to, you know, promote too many companies. But there's all these different companies out there that actually will look at your credits 
you know, your credit, they'll kind of do a credit watch for you. Yeah, but but what I'm talking about, that we talk about all the time, I'm talking about really the, the, the thing about online stuff, the security online, because people will tell us, okay, I mean, the stuff that I tell people I think is good. It's like, okay, never respond ever to anything that somebody asks you for, you know, information. Right. Ever, okay. ever. I, got, I, I mean, got that's, that kind of stuff. I'm talking only about online, because the stuff about identity, I tell people exactly what to do. But okay, I want perfect. you to tell us the the technical stuff that we should be doing that we're not hearing. Okay, okay, perfect. Okay. Okay, so basically what you want to do is you also, you know, there's a really cool tool out there, uh, called, and it's free. It's called WinPooch. How and do you I spell actually that? use it to analyze viruses myself because it keeps a historical tab on, like, activity on your computer. Wait, wait a minute. Now, now spell it for us and it's tell Win, us what... W-I-N, like yeah. Windows. Yes. P-O-O-C-H. And, and where do we get that? It's at winpooch.sourceforge.net. There's yeah. a shorter version of that. Basically type in winpooch.sf.net. SF.net, okay. And that is basically, you have that on your computer, and what will happen is it'll, it'll basically pop up if there's any changes to your computer. Even when you're installing a program, it'll ask you if you want to accept those changes. Like in the sense of like something just wrote to the registry on my computer. Something just added a file in the System32 directory. Well, if you're installing something, then you obviously purposely know that you need to add stuff to your computer. Right. But if you're browsing and suddenly that pops up, right. says that, hey, there was a qz.dll put in the System32 directory, then you need to be worried because, uh, you know, you need to take some step of actions. And you can refuse it. You can say reject this, which will, on, you know, proactively reject, you know, the, the malware that's trying to be put on there. So, so this is a good start because it'll actually kind of keep an eye on, it spies on your internal computer and makes sure, it's kind of like a, a host-based intrusion detection system and makes sure that nothing is like just adding itself to your computer without your permission. And you can accept it, accept it you can make it think it was accepted and never really accept it, um, and then you can also reject it. And you can make, autom- you know, you can automatically have alerts like that and customize it, and it's, it's pretty useful. It's a little bit technical, but not too much. It's kind of like Zone Alarm when it asks you, do you want to allow or block something? Right. So it's similar to that. I just think it's, it's a better tool than most because, one, it's free. Two, it's written open source. Uh, three, it's written a lot by research, uh, security researchers that I know and are, are a part of the community. And it's not so vendor-related where they're just trying to sell you a product. Right, right. Um, Another good stuff. Um, from a technical perspective, if you want to get te- more technical, there's um, a tool called Rootkit Revealer from SysInternals. Okay, you've got to spell these for us slowly. Okay, okay SysInternals uh, is uh, S-Y-S-I-N-T-E-R-N-A-L-S dot okay. com. Okay. And they have some cool tools. That some of them are advanced, but there's a, cool, uh, uh, a really neat tool that's called Rootkit Revealer. Rootkit Revealer? Yeah. Okay. yeah, Revealer. And a rootkit is basically the Trojans and the viruses we're seeing today that steal your data. They're what's called rootkits. And the root is not, it means it digs deep into the root of your computer and it can hide itself. It can hide itself from Windows. So if you look at your task manager, you won't see that virus as a process in your task manager. You know, it, it, it's very good at hiding itself. And it's, it makes it very difficult for spyware that doesn't know about it to pick it up. Oh. Okay, so Rootkit Revealer looks for those anomalies that only Rootkits do, and it lets you scan that, and it'll find these kind of Rootkits that are buried into your system that may be stealing data. So you run that every night, too? Is that something that you do? Yeah, that was something that you would run uh, every night, or if you went browsing for that day, you might want to run it after if you went to sites you've never been to. Okay, okay. Um, and, and most people do. I mean, most people go on the Internet. And, yeah, it's blind faith. I yeah, mean, I mean, you just go and you just keep going. You know, you keep yeah. jumping from one site to another like when you're driving looking. driving a car. You don't know where you're going to, you know, exactly. you don't know how, how many people are going to drive safely on the highway that day. It's, it's, a, it's chance. So then we have also F-Secure, F-Secure. Okay. Um, I think it's .com. Um, they have a thing called Blacklight. It's, it is a paid service, but you can try it out for 30 days. Okay, and what and is that And that's also do? kind of like a rootkit thing as well, and it can scan your machine for darker Trojans and, and spyware. Now, how do you, how do you define a, a Trojan for us? Okay, a Trojan is basically, okay, viruses are, are a general term, and, vi- and some people get really specific with the semantics because we're kind of technical researchers, and we get, right. you know, some people will call a Trojan a worm, and we're like, it's not a worm, but the, the Trojan is basically just that. It is, it's something that sneaks on your computer, right. waits for you to do an event, and then it comes out and basically, you know, 
you know, it's basically it's in your base killing all all your men. Now, is this That's, coming through from a website or from emails or both? Uh, usually, it, it, it you'll find either an email that you know tells you to go here, or it will be a hacked-in website with an Internet Explorer or a Microsoft vulnerability. We just got one in just now. There's another zero day that just came out for Microsoft, which we'll probably see in the next two days. A bunch of you know um, new sites that use this exploit. Um, but so what happens is if you're browsing around, you could get this. Um, we find a lot with people who do uh, browse adult entertainment because it's just high, uh, more higher yeah. probabilities right. um, because they link to everything. And they already use trickery to put pop-ups in front of you and get you to go everywhere. Um, so basically, you know, you want to keep, you know, blacklight. Another really great tool, and I had my dad use this because he got a thing called SpyX that was stuck on his computer. Hmm. I don't know if anybody's heard of Spyware Strike or SpyX, but it's the most annoying spyware on your computer. It acts like a spyware eliminator, but it, it just keeps popping up telling you you have spyware in your computer and that you need to go to the site, and it only infects you when you go to the site oh. for spyware. It's just constant. <laughs> okay. And so it's a very, it's each, and it has so many variants that it's very difficult to be on the phone with my dad saying, this is how you remove it, because <laughs> there's so many different variants that have to be on the machine. And so I said, you know what, you need to go to Sunbelt Software, S-U-N-B-E-L-T-Software.com, and get CounterSpy. And they have a 30-day evaluation or a two-week evaluation. And he got that. It was the only thing, because he had Norton, he had McAfee, he had all the fun stuff on there, and it wouldn't remove it. He got that on there, and it removed it immediately. Wow. And okay, that so, one, so I, and when you funny go because to... I know the people who wrote the software, and that's the only reason I was recommending it at the time, and I had never tried it myself. And I was going on a, a, a bet here of, like, it's probably going to work because I know the people behind it. Right. And it turned out really good because the researchers are very, very solid on what they do. Um, and so, you know, I recommend it because, one, it did work for my dad, and, two, I do know the people behind that, that software. So he, he, he downloaded it, and then he ran it, and then it, it found it? Is it that what you found it, got it off his computer, and he ended up paying, you know, paying 20 bucks for it. It's 19 bucks. Oh. Great. You know, it's a great, you know, $20 is worth more than spending $1,200 oh, yeah. for the next week for your identity to, to be resolved. Yeah, you know? let me ask you another question. You know, when you were talking about this early, and I want to get back to it, you know how you have the secure socket layer with the SSL in the bottom, that mm -hmm. little lock? Mm -hmm. Okay, um, and then you said even fishers can put that on there? So Yeah, it's not that secure. Actually, in my book, I show how you can break it. I actually did a TD Waterhouse one. So how do we, that's what I was going to ask you, how can I be sure um, to, to know that it's really real um, if I'm at a site that I want to buy something? Because I'm usually the type that will call up the 800 number, but, you know, what, what, what can I do to, to this see? This one's a hard one. Uh, I mean, I have solutions that should be built. What you can do is just, you know, take the best practices, make sure you went to the HTTPS site yourself. You know, that you know the website, you went to it directly by typing it in. Yes. Uh, that helps a lot. But the problem that I'm seeing, and I posted, a, I wrote a white paper on this uh, recently when we saw some malware, and it's also in my book on how, I, see, in my book I predicted a lot of things that have now come for this year. Right. And so I showed that, you know, SSL is vulnerable to certain techniques because of the way the browser works. Right. I saw and, that. Yeah. And so the biggest problem that we have is now we're seeing it. Uh, and I, I expected it to happen, and I don't think they're reading my book and doing it. I, I actually expected it to happen. Um, so, <laughs> so, so what do we do as a consumer? I mean, do I go there? If I click on it, will it do anything to help uh, me? Well, you know, the, the thing is, no. The, the lock can be forged in the sense of it's really, like, what I demonstrate is that you can actually have the real lock there. Right. And then the attacker can, if there's a vulnerability, the attacker can embed his own lock in there that you'll never see. So, yes, you're protected because the way the browser works. What I can recommend is uh, Trust Bar or Spoof Stick. <laughs> These names are incredible. Oh, Trust Bar or, I mean, there were a lot of names in your book. I was hysterical, all these crazy names that they've made. Trust Bar or Spoof Stick. Stick, yeah, and that'll help you by identifying it. I, don't, I think Trust Bar and Spoof Stick are both still vulnerable to this, but it, it gives you a practice of already looking and making sure that your SSL certificate is signed properly, because Trust Bar, which is uh, a free tool, don't go by the one that may be marketing. It's not that one. It's the one that's actually true, uh, free. Uh, the guy's name is Amir Hertzberg, who who, wrote, who designed it. Um, it's an academic, you know, uh, project, so it's actually a free tool. It it works in I think Mozilla. I would also recommend using. I mean, I'm not trying to get everyone away from Internet Explorer, but the numbers say that Internet Explorer is the w most widely attacked oh. browser. By fishers. I mean, if you're running Mozilla Firefox, 
you're going to be having an 80% chance, a higher chance that you're not going to get infected with something. Mozilla Firefox, okay. Yeah, and that's at Mozilla.org, and it's got a better user experience, no offense. I actually like it as a browser. You know, I want to ask you something when you're talking about Explorer because everybody uses Microsoft because it comes on your stu- you know right. it comes automatically. I get these updates that you know my computer consultant has me do updates for everything, but I get these automatic things from Microsoft like you need to update your spyware for us, and I'm scared to death to do that when I get it from from that because I don't know if it's somebody who's really infiltrated there that's telling me to to do that or not. Am I safe when I get something that's set up on my computer to do? you know, Microsoft updates? Yeah, you know, that's a big question, and I've been kind of waiting for them to do that more. There, <laughs> I, there have been some attacks on the Microsoft updates. I literally saw the, the Swen worm, which was a, it's a virus worm, and it spreads around and stuff. And, and when you actually try to log into your email, it will say, it'll pop up and say your email account stuff has been missing. You know, you need to update your information. And it's literally a pop-up, like physically on your computer. Right. And then it goes and emails the results to some site. And so, you know, Windows Update, I mean, I haven't perfectly analyzed it and said, oh, this is definitely secure. Um, But, yeah, there's going to probably be – I'm not saying don't update your Windows. You definitely want to. You want to go to the website and tell it to do the express stall if you want to make sure. Um, The only problem is I think the Windows Update is binded to Internet Explorer. Right. Which is the biggest problem is because that, you know, how do you know – you know, you're not infected, and that does, you know, will never get, you know, updated. Because, I mean, we've seen, obviously, in the past with malware and, and viruses, we've seen them shut down antivirus updates. Right. And, like, Semantic uh, Norton will silence, uh, like, the corporate edition that we tested with, will actually silently fail for 30 days before warning anybody, I can't get any updates. Yeah. Okay? And that's a big problem because, right. you know, if you don't have updates for your antivirus signature for 30 days, they can, you know, a virus can block you out, you know, basically is what they're doing. And so we expect to see this um, with Microsoft Update more because I actually saw a fish the other day that was actually pretending to be Microsoft Update. Ah, that's see, that's it, what I was scared of. Yeah, and it was the Swen. It was the one I was just telling you about with the pop-up in the email. Now, they didn't specifically do update forgery, um, but they did do that. Uh, another thing that we found actually on the website that does the genuine, you know, the genuine Windows validation when you go to your update and it wants to make sure you're really running a non-pirated version of Windows. Right. We actually found a vulnerability on that site that was actually allowing us to like change the file to anything we wanted to tell it to be. So do you go and do you tell Microsoft? Yeah, we told Microsoft. I mean, you call them up. I mean, they must love you when you tell them this that you're helping. I, I told. I, I know their lawyers. Uh, I know the LCA team, which is their legal uh, yeah, team, would, um, and they're pretty open to it. You know, they I would think their privacy you know. officer also would be very concerned about that, and their IT officer, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't get to hear all the drama. They just say, thanks, you know, appreciate it, you know, um, and that's what we do. Do they pay you for that? No. I mean, <laughs> we're security researchers. We, uh, you know, we, uh, we kind of go out and just do our thing. Um, you know, well, that's like terrible. We, they should be. Well, I mean... You know, I I don't know how many companies I technically have helped in Chapter Four and Five without pay on that. Right. Uh, you know, so it's you just sound well, like it's me. In the nature of it. <laughs> so it's, it, it, it's to us, it's our obligated responsibility. If we have the, you know, it's that whole knowledge is power thing. And if we have the the knowledge to do this, then we need to empower the the, the vendors to be safe. You right. Know? And right. So, so it's kind of a culture. It's really a culture thing because you know, no one charges for that kind of stuff. Uh, right. At least the right. ones that are into it. You know that really you're into it. So well, at least you wrote a book. Let me ask you: We only have two minutes left, so could you just tell us about the future of fishing, real quick? And, and we're going—I'm going to have to interrupt you if you go too long. But yeah, I just the, tell the real truth, quick. Truth of the matter: Future of fishing is in gonna, is going to be in malware. We're going to see more farming. We're going to see more data. The collection rate is astronomical. We're seeing uh, an average one fishing group. You know, one day of their stealings is about 100 to 200 megabytes a day. That's over 16,000 logins per day that are stolen for one fishing group. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so the malware is winning for them. The the defense in the future, everybody's looking at FFIEC and doing two-factor authentication. Unfortunately, actually... I I think it should be three, at least. Well, it doesn't really matter how you do it, because the way that malware works is it'll just ride the session, and it doesn't matter how many things. It waits till you log in, and then it'll basically, if you're going to PayPal and you're sending money to somebody, it'll just quickly flip that to their account, and you think you sent money off to that person, and it actually sends money out. So there's a lot of, like, you know, techniques that are being worked on and stuff. Um, But I think that the defense is way behind uh, because of the bureaucracy of the targets, you know, 
in actually dealing with this. And so for a while, it's going to appear that we're losing this battle. And, uh, and it's essentially, we kind of are. Uh, but we just need to basically start looking at the rudimentary, simple solutions to these problems rather than trying to build all these complicated laws and all these layers of things when there's, you know, a lot of the times these, these problems are caused by economics and other, you know, not yeah. just technology. Right, right. Okay, so, so we're going to have to go to your website, and we're going to go to securescience.net, yep. and that will tell all about what you guys do. And then if you want to learn more, and I can honestly tell you it's really an interesting book that I've been reading it, you can go to and get Fishing Exposed, and uh, it'll tell you a lot more. And I love the way the summary, and it, it tells a lot of great, great things. So, Lance, we're going to have to have you back on in a few months to tell us more about what's going on, okay? Yeah, that'd be great. Okay, you have been listening to Lance James, who is a fishing expert, and he is a scientist with Secure Science Corporation uh, at securescience.net. You've been listening to Privacy Piracy. I'm Mari Frank, and and my engineer is Lloyd Boshaw. You've um, you've been listening to 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org. To listen to all of our previous guests and listen to our podcasts and see all of our wonderful upcoming guests, go to KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. We'll see you at 5 o'clock every Wednesday evening at KUCI.org and 88.9 FM in Irvine. Thanks. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.